know why they call this a hibachi? They don't. It's a kettle grill. hundred years ago, in ancient China, was a tiny little village of dairy farmers, living fat off their milk and cheese. But when a drought came and they needed to get water from the river, none of the Chinamen wanted to do their work. I'm not sure that's the appropriate term to use for right, China people, whatever. Point is, they were laying around in hammocks, waiting for rain. So a wise man gathered up a bunch of twigs and stuffed it under each of the villagers while they slept. You know what he did that? Lit a fire under them? Exactly. That's where the expression comes from. Do you know what that wise man's name was? Hibachi? Damn straight. Yeah. Except that hibachis are from Japan, not China, where there weren't a lot of dairy farmers historically. Or hammocks. Do you think I was going to fall for that? No, but I knew you'd be too busy calling my bullshit to know what I was really up to. Oh, yeah, what's that? Lighting a fire under you. Welcome to No Mercy, a Cobra Kai kickback. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I represent Miyagi-Do, because I have a secret technique to kill people, but it doesn't kill people. It is really dark and edgy, though. And my name is Jim Scampoli. I represent Cobra Kai, because I understand that D. Snyder rocks no matter what decade it is. And my name is Mike Steele, and I represent Terry Silver, which makes perfect sense because much like Terry Silver, Jacob Burroughs claims he hates me, yet he can't keep my name out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true, Mike Steele. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. You have no idea. For everyone who doesn't know, Mike is... Also, who who you think you are if you don't know this, but Mike is a co-host on Jim's other podcast. That's right. For once, I get to call that the other podcast, (laughs) Jim and Them. You can find it at jimandthem.com, and Mike is a co-host. And we're all great friends, even though technically I literally only met you guys twice. Once in 2012 and once in 2019, and that's it. (laughs) I think of you as a friend, Jacob. Well, you better until I stab you in the back. And oh no! Escalates. Um, so we're talking about episode five. Mike's joined us because we, I think obviously we're talking about episode five. We're going to get into it. But uh, Mike, you are kind of a new fan of Cobra Kai, right? Oh yeah, kind of I one like... of these people that we hate, right? Yeah, I was just saying you're the, you're the type of people that uh, you like. You act like you're not talking down to us, but you're kind of secretly talking down. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, like I love all these new fans that like haven't been around the whole time that like aren't as big of a fan as us, but like they're fans, I guess that's, <laughs> that's me. I'm one of them, which I was actually sitting within like 10 feet of Jim Scampoli when he first powered through the entire season of Cobra Kai. So I can back up his claims that he is uh, an early adopter and he would shout from the tallest mountain to everyone in the world, please watch this show, please watch this show. And I just had no way to watch it. Or else I would have, but Jim has been like, oh, he's been making sure anyone who will listen would watch this show from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. And also, you're uh, not just a new, like, not just a Cobra Kai, but, like, even took the Karate Kid movies, right? Like, you basically, in the span of, like, a week, consumed, like, the, the films and, like, season one and two, like, at the end of the summer, right? Oh, yes, because, like, I had never watched Karate Kid because in your head, you think, oh, Karate Kid, that's probably, like, some tropey 80s music movie a kid learns karate and then oh that's fun but instead it's like this subversive uh amazing tale that doesn't do anything you expect and it's like two and a half hours long which is insane for a movie of that era and it just does everything right and uh i i fell in love with it and uh this was leading up to cobra kai getting put on netflix because i was like oh sweet i'm finally gonna have a way to watch this show that jim's been talking about for seven years um well it is it's also kind of hilarious like 
if someone out there did work for YouTube Premium and they hear someone describe it as, I had no way to watch this show. <laughs> I was under the impression that I had no reasonable way to watch this show other than give them money, and I was not about to do that. Yeah, uh, so yeah I watched all the movies except for uh, the remake and the Hillary Swank one. Yeah, uh, so I watched all the well I watched done. all the Machio movies. Yeah, you know what? And I've never seen those either. I haven't seen the remake or we're we're gonna have to eventually watch the Hillary Swank one because it has been stated that that is canon, um, and it is something potentially they would will or could pull from. So we gotta be prepared when Hillary Swank shows yeah. up at the end of season four. But that I is my blind spot. The, I, I have actually seen the uh, the remake there. It is not good. Um, but it, it's really funny that, like, I want to talk a little bit, I guess, about your entry into the whole <laughs> fandom. Uh, this might be a long episode. We're obviously going to get to episode five of uh, season three. Uh, but, yeah, you said, like, it's not a tropey film about a kid that learns karate, or it's at least not just that. Obviously, there is that. That is the yes. foundation of what the karate kid is. But I definitely have that, even though I don't necessarily have the as long nostalgia as people who watched it obviously in the 80s i still watched karate kid as a kid so i want to get more on what you were saying of like what was great about entering into it how did it subvert your expectations because obviously cobra kai is known for subverting expectations but you kind of felt like that even with the original material yes well because when you watch uh the original karate kid it's impossible for me as the person who's in 2020 watching it to not think oh if this movie was made nowadays here's what they would have done instead if mm -hmm. this movie was made nowadays here's what this guy would have said and said here's how this person would have acted and that alone just the whole time you're watching it whether it be the length whether it be the fact that Machio's like Machio is not cool in the way that the main character would be cool in this movie made nowadays Johnny Lawrence is not bad in the way that Johnny Lawrence would be made if that movie was made nowadays, the way that Ralph Macchio was won over by Mr. Miyagi is not like he actually probably would have been snotty and dismissive about everything until Mr. Miyagi's like uh, secret plan immediately became came to fruition, and then he had to begrudgingly accept it. But instead, Macchio's just like, "Oh, these trees, what are these?" And he's like, "Oh, clip them up." He's like, "All right, cool. I'll spend my my afternoon doing this." And that wouldn't happen. He would have been like, "Oh, trees. This is lame." Uh, but my mom's making me come here. So I guess I will. And then by the afternoon, he would have been one over. And then like when he goes and does all the stuff at the Miyagi dojo and like he's painting fences and he's doing chores and they have him do it like four times and he never complains once. Not a single time does he complain. He does just does it. And he's kind of like, not sure why he's doing it, but it's really not until the very, very last second where he's like, all right, man, why am I doing this? But he doesn't go like, this is bullshit, bro. This doesn't make any sense, man. You need to teach me karate. Like basically he does exactly uh, nowadays. He'd do what Dimitri 100% did in the show is seem annoyed the whole time and then blow up about it until he realizes it worked. Well, and I love that they, they did like those, all those things, all those things you expect in your head are just not what happens in the movie. Well, plus there's just the idea of um, what an eighties movie is. Yes. Even though we yes. all, even though we all kind of understand, I mean, even though we know and like there's movies we love from the eighties, you still, you get clouded in the idea of like the generic eighties movie 
where it's like just really stupid. Like people didn't know anything apparently, and they only made like really dumb movies. <laughs> yeah, no one uh, knew how to tell a story. <laughs> and and you just assume like, oh, like because part of it is just this air of like you're always thinking, well, things now are better than they used to be. Um, and I don't know, like because even having seen the movie and loving it as a kid, you just assume because there's so many things that age badly. You just assume like, oh, this is just another one of those things that aged badly until, especially if you've had a lot of separation from it. And then when you do revisit, you're like, oh yeah, no, that's right. I've, I let this weird, like, uh, cliche of the eighties movie cloud my memory of what like this particular one is. Yeah. And it just does, it does that. It's not a cliche, even though it's a karate movie for teens from the eighties, which seems like it would just be the cliche everything else became a cliche from when instead it's not, it was not at all what I expected, which is great. Cause that's what the show is too. I'm hearing that it feels like there was more realism than what you expected. And then there would be like in a modern version of this mm-hmm. in that there's kind of a lot of low key moments where we're hanging out with the characters. You definitely notice this. Yes. You watch as well, where, you know, you're just fishing with these guys, getting to know them, like <laughs> loving them. Yeah. That's uh, why I say like the length of this movie Movies weren't that long back in the day, but it doesn't, it totally uses its length. It never meanders, but you get to spend a ton of time with these characters in a, in a way that makes you feel like you know who they are more than just feeling like the movie was padded out or too long or they wanted extra action scenes and stuff. I definitely got a similar impression when I watched Rocky, which I did like ages after, because I had the same, like, I thought it was going to be the tropiest shit. Like, I've just seen, you know, parodies on The Simpsons where he's fighting a robot or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And then you watch the original Rocky, and that's absolutely the same impression where it's sort of sitting in these moments of this is this person's life. And this, this is why the big fight or whatever is significant not because just of the tropes that leads up to him having a big karate duel but also Mm -hmm. like who he is as a person on that journey and obviously uh the karate kid is rocky but with karate like that was kind of how (laughs) they sold it and made it uh as we talked about i think in the original discussion of that yeah jacob we know everyone on the planet has said that rocky is just the karate kid with boxing (laughs) we've we've heard this to death jacob (laughs) yeah that's right Um, right, so well, will we dig into this episode then, episode five of season uh, three? Do you have the information on who put this thing together, Jim? Yes, this episode is titled Miyagi-Do. Uh, it's directed by Steve uh, Sushida, a story by, of course, the big three. I think we, we decided we're going to just say the big three, right? Yeah. Uh, Josh Hield, John Herowitz, Hayden Schlossberg. Uh, and uh, a little rapscallion by the name of Bob Dearden snuck in the room, and he also is credited with the teleplay. Good for him. Um, yeah, so that's... I think he's joined the the crew there in season three. I haven't seen Bob around before in the credits. But anyway, uh, I think we should just get to the very start of the episode because have you seen... How did you consume it, uh, Mike? Did you start with, like... Wow. Did you watch all three of them then at the start and then go into Cobra Kai? I was not one James Scampoli where I had consume the movies and then the second the show exists it's just immediately in my blood but yes i watched all three movies before i watched any of cobra kai and when this season came out i watched it all in one sitting cool so we do start with a flashback in this episode to the karate kid part two in japan we sort of get to see 
part of the fight with Chosen, actually quite a lot of it, like, because obviously we need to set up for anyone who hasn't seen The Karate Kid Part 2, uh, who's this guy coming in? <laughs> What's going on there? We get to see the drum technique performed again, which our main comment on that has always been, like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. Because yeah. we only see, like, a close-up and him going left and right. It's the uh, shot. <laughs> and, and the movie sets it up almost like you think that the, him dodging the fishing hook is going to be the technique in this movie, but then that's never revisited ever again, and it ends up being the weird drum thing but it seems in this episode chosen does do the drum thing and we get to see it yeah. later on right so i was like that's the drum thing cool and, and seeing that clip out of context almost makes it seem like the drum thing makes more sense than it did when you watched the whole movie <laughs> well and what's funny to me is picturing this as someone just watching cobra kai and to me they're like say they're they're been binging cobra kai for like the past few weeks and now they're on season three and they see the drum they're like, oh, that's like what Robbie picked up in the dojo. Like, they think it's just a callback to that previous episode of Cobra Kai. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's what he picked up. Uh, <laughs> uh, just because that's their world. I, I do have to comment. I don't know if it's just because it's like out of context with the flashbacks here. But because, I mean, obviously, Karate Kid 2, uh, like with Blu-ray and shit, it looks good. But I was like, wow, this footage looks great for some reason. I mean, I don't know if yeah. it, like, it just seemed to stand out to me. Like, I don't know, because obviously they have access to like dailies and high def transfers and whatnot. But uh, it, it's it's great how like well it kind of drops in with the show. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so we do get Chosen showing up uh, with uh, with Daniel and Kimiko, and he he comes up and bows, and it's a very tense moment, and I love the music for the drums as the Cobra Kai splashes across the screen. Uh, are I mean, are y'all excited for this when you're seeing this first scene? Because I was. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm excited, but it also is such a... And I, I get this kind of... This is the point of what happens here. Like, it even... It hit better on this rewatch. I mean, obviously, I guess I did lose some stuff in binging everything. Um, but it's such a stark... It's, it's such a funny comparison the way that Daniel and Johnny have this epic fucking beef... Whereas this thing with Chosen is a million times worse <laughs> than, <laughs> than like, you know, dumping water on someone, getting like tripped at the beach. Uh, like, but this is a literal fight to the death and an attempted murder on like his girlfriend. Like, this is so crazy. And I get that's kind of like the point. Like, we come out on the other side with like, you know, people can change because because Daniel, we know, is like, no. Johnny Lawrence, that piece of shit threw me down a mountain when I was on my bike. <laughs> Which he does. He immediately does when he's talking to Kimiko, and I love yeah. that because he does the thing that freaking he always does. Daniel's like, no, trust me. Yeah. I'm going to say something that I don't know anything about. And then she goes, what are you talking about? He's like, people don't change. Trust me, I'm, I'm Daniel LaRusso. I know things. Then she goes, no, he totally changed. And she's like, huh? <laughs> like he's completely shocked by it. And he, Daniel's always doing that as saying something like it's fact and then being completely wrong and, and learning that in the next like half hour. Yeah, that's a great bit of... I, because I that's such continuity with who he is in the films as well. Because he's such a stubborn like, even though he's like cool to hang out with Mr. Miyagi and everything, he's very like stubborn in what he thinks and stuff. <laughs> so it's great to see that because it's definitely one of his main flaws. Obviously, um, if we're sort of skipping forward to that, like let's just talk about Chosen and Kimiko and Daniel having a drink. And I mean, it's hilarious the way 
chosen plays it like it's oh. almost stereotypical but when he like the absolute awkward silence the awkwardness is obviously worse than the fact that this guy <laughs> tried to kill you before yeah. uh because that feels so uncomfortable and he doesn't like yeah chosen doesn't drink but he like yell it d- says nothing for ages then yells at daniel when he tries to get his own drink and like i will get <laughs> yeah and, and goes off and gets it and then kimiko runs away t- and tells uh, s- says that uh chosen's gonna give him a tour of the island and daniel doesn't want any of this at this point <laughs> It, it is an interesting piece of Daniel's personality where, like, you know, obviously we we, we talk about this a lot. Uh, and and it was, I was thinking of it because obviously there's a lot of Karate Kid 2 in this season and in this episode. Like, we always mention how we were there. We went to the... Uh, we went to Okinawa. Back <laughs> we went to Okinawa together. But it's, yeah. it's an interesting piece of Daniel's personality that, like... Because, you know, we checked in with him. We knew about Daniel in the 80s when he, like met Mr. Miyagi and how their friendship and their relationship grew. But even over the span of 30 years, like it seems very un Miyagi. Uh, like it, he, he couldn't get through to Daniel in that respect, as far as being like a bit more stubborn. Uh, and he, like, cause Daniel obviously takes a lot of like inspiration from like Eastern philosophies, but he can't, he can't escape that true east coast new jersey philosophy uh, <laughs> of being stubborn and kind of hard-headed and uh, deciding who a person is based off of like the their history well and i love the way that they chose to represent chosen especially the first half until he takes daniel to the dojo yeah. because it's exactly what that guy would be because you can tell he's not happy to see daniel but he's not like mad at Daniel. It's almost that honor thing that was so important in uh, Karate Kid 2 of like, hey, I know who you are and I know that we shouldn't be mad. So I'm going to be nice to you, but I'm not going to change how I'm acting as I'm nice to you. So he's like mad nice to him the whole time. Like, like, good to see you. But he's like scowling the whole time. He's like, I'll get you a drink. No, you come with me. Come on. Like, he's just like, he's doing all the things you do if you were nice, but he's not acting in a nice way. And that's exactly how this guy would act because in the same way that Daniel has all these preconceived notions and ideas of knowing exactly what goes on, Chosen feels the same way because he's like, this dude showed up and basically ruined the good thing I had going on with Sato and completely derailed my life. But in the long run, it worked out okay. But that doesn't mean I'm happy that it happened. I'm just okay with the outcome I'm now living in. And they, that is such a perfect choice for this guy to act that exact way, the way he does the whole time. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing they have to reckon with and, and almost kind of retcon and change, in my opinion, is one of the failings of Karate Kid 2 is that they, like, uh, Chosen is obviously the villain, but, the, and I think we even talked about this when we discussed the movie, they kind of go against like the mantra of the Karate Kid is that there's no bad student because... Yeah, where, you mean when they're, they're like, Sato's super cool, fuck yes. this guy though. Well, and yeah. Sato turns his back just immediately on yes. Chosen, just like undeniably in a way where I agree with you, Jim. That was a huge retcon, but a good choice. But then like, yeah, because Sato, yeah, he becomes the good guy in a way and then Chosen has to bear the brunt of continuing to be a villain. And then in this episode, as we learn, like, it has to be that he say like, Sato did ch- save his life, like, where he did train him or whatever. But it's like, no, he's supposed to be. <laughs> but, I mean, I get why they have to fix it. And yeah. I guess it kind of works that 
the movie does portray Sato as like turning face and becoming a good guy, even though in the movie he's like, I will turn my back on you. Like yeah. you are, a, you are a villain, even though it's my fault, completely my fault that you are the way you are. If you're going to retcon something that happened in a movie, I think that's a good choice. Cause yeah. like you said, that is, that doesn't go against the ethos of the whole, no bad students, only bad teachers. And if you tell me that Sato changed his mind after the movie to allow this version of chosen to exist, I'm cool with yeah. that because it did seem weird in the movie how hard Sato was just like, eh, screw you, Chosen. I'm done immediately. Just and, just like blinking you miss it, done with you. And if anything, that that was like a fault that movie made that they kind of righted that wrong, in my yes. opinion. Yeah, I honestly, uh, that's how I understood this, that while it is a retcon, it makes also sense for Sato to realize that he made a huge mistake, like due to the whole death match and everything, because he disowns him before the death match. Chosen is so caught up with anger and, I don't know, guilt, whatever, that he shows up and does the death match to prove <laughs> yeah. himself. And that's yeah. such a fucked up thing that Sato yeah. hopefully had a moment where he realized, oh, wait, I'm the piece of shit here and uh, took him back in and sort of helped him. But speaking of people who uh, appropriate Eastern philosophies like Daniel, uh, <laughs> Braden is actually giving yeah, yeah. Uh, our man Miguel some physical therapy over in the valley at this very moment. And Johnny walks in on him. He sees him there with his necklaces and his <laughs> hair tied back. And he knows this shit isn't going to work. I'm basically going to have to take this upon myself to heal this kid. And you know what I kind of like about the way they're doing this um, is they kind of downplay the other because because obviously it's Cobra Kai we're mostly going to be from Johnny's point of view but at least we're seeing hints that it's not just Johnny's training with Miguel like we we know Miguel had a surgery like we don't spend a lot of time on it because like Johnny's not concerned with that he's going to fix it himself and at least Miguel is having like physical therapy and stuff so it's not just Johnny came through and kind of healed him like if I guess if you did more of a uh, like Carmen's point of view, there's like hours of other stuff going on with Miguel. In addition, uh, not to say Johnny's not doing his thing, but it's just nice that there's a little bit like if you wanted to be to scrutinize it a little bit more, there's uh, like more of a plausible explanation behind some of the things going on. Yeah, it's a good choice because they they let you view the real medicine through the lens of Johnny Lawrence. So <laughs> yeah. all the things that are probably what made Miguel walk again, Johnny's rolling his eyes at while he's like. <laughs> Fucking hanging magazines from fishing poles and uh, uh, looping uh, Miguel into his weird harnesses and stuff. But you can then say in the background after Johnny magically fixes him, well, it's probably some of that stuff too. Yeah. But it was definitely Johnny Lawrence. That, I think that's a great way of looking at it, that it's sort of through his eyes that we're seeing this. Um, because I think some of the criticism of Cobra Kai, you know, now that all these woke people are watching it because it's on Netflix, like the criticism would be that Johnny basically it doesn't get enough uh, punishment for his bad behavior because he has so much behavior that's inherently shitty and like dated. Um, and this would be maybe an example of how the show literally goes like this shit doesn't work his mistake was not just like johnny's mistake was not taking him to a rock concert earlier you know <laughs> the power of rock fixed him johnny is basically right in this world but if we can uh, justify that through the fact that we're sort of seeing at least this bit through his eyes i think that makes sense because carmen is also like the most reasonable person yeah. in the scene going <laughs> yeah <like. laughs> miguel wants you around so you can be around uh but like don't 
don't fuck with this free physical therapy that we're getting. <laughs> well, and there's also a nice, like, kind of subtle connection because the guy says, you know, hey, it's all about positive thinking or whatever. And that ties into where Johnny decides, like, hey, all right, let's just let's not just keep focusing on how you can't walk. Let's just go out and have fun. And then things start happening. So uh, just some nice little nods and the connections the way it works. In a lot of ways, not being a pussy is positive, <laughs> the ultimate positive yes. thinking, right? <laughs> yeah, basically Cobra Kai is just a big self-help thing. We know this, which is like to believe in yourself and believe everyone else is a pussy. Um, so last episode actually ended with Chris showing up um, with uh, uh, Robbie in, in juvie or what have you, right? So we kind of pick up with that and have Chris do his thing where he gives a little monologue. In this case, he's talking about uh, Johnny, not the other, not himself, the other Johnny. Why did they do this to us? Um, but he uh, he talks about how Johnny fought uh, some kid Vidal in like his first All Valley, and he lost, but he didn't make it easy on the other one, other kid. And he talks about how like he's basically the only one who's there, like going, "You don't deserve to be in this. You didn't start that fight. It was an accident." And yeah. like you can beat yourself up if you want, but everyone else is. It looks like because he keeps getting his ass kicked, which is like. You know, Robbie, you can't really blame him in this episode for picking up with Chris because we've seen how he's like literally been abandoned by pretty much everyone. We talked about how Daniel fucked him over, kind of felt like the for the convenience of the story when he sort of gave him up uh, to the cops without actually giving him a chance to give himself up. Um, and of course, Johnny's just hanging out with Miguel as usual. Well, I liked what they do with Chris. What they do with Chris is really smart. And you guys talked about this a little bit with the Tory. But, like, what Kreese does when he's, like, recruiting people is Kreese is manipulative and Kreese is clearly a bad guy. But, like, he's not that when he's doing this stuff for these kids. Like, when he shows up, he doesn't, like, Mr. Burns his fingers and be like, oh, hello, Robbie. I uh, have a dojo I'd like you to join. And, like, he he literally shows up and goes, I'm going to tell you a story about your dad. I'm going to say, I kind of don't think you should be in here. And I'm going to give you some advice that I think will help you. And then he leaves. Yeah. That he didn't like have some grand plan to trick Robbie into liking him by telling him that stuff. He just kind of told him that stuff in the same way that when he helped Tori, he was genuinely helping Tori. He's a bad guy and he was kind of doing it for his own good, but he was still doing it without like this secret plan lurking in the background. And they do that really well with crease where when he helps people, Yes, he always has a scheme, and yes, he has a plan, but almost all the times he's helping someone, he is still kind of just genuinely helping them. And I think that's good for Robbie, who takes a lot of the back seat in this season, and this is a great moment where the way things turn out make a lot more sense when you look at just this moment, if nothing else, where Robbie is just like, is anyone going to help me? Is anyone going to be on my side? And Kreese does it, and he does it in like a, genuinely meaningful way with the perfect advice that he needed to hear in this moment to steer him in the direction that helped him immediately. Yeah. And going in with like, I mean, we talked a bit about the previous flashbacks we've seen in, in the earlier episodes of this season. And it does at least fit in with the idea that, um, crease understands what, you know, hurt like hurt people how hurt people hurt people but crease at least <laughs> understands that that part of being a being a hurt person and what it might take to kind of reach out and and help someone um 
But to get into some of the nitpicks here, because there's actually some fuck ups uh, with the timeline. Uh, well, because first of all, they talk about uh, Daryl Vidal, who is like a real guy. He's in Karate Kid. He's actually the guy that just kind of made up the crane kick. And he's the one doing the crane kick in the silhouette in the Karate Kid movie. Uh, oh. But uh, some of the problem here that people have pointed out is that in Karate Kid 3, when Daniel wins the All-Valley back-to-back, they say that Daniel's the first person to do that. So now the problem here is they say that Johnny loses in 1981, meaning he would have to then win in 1982 and 1983, making him the first back-to-back uh, All-Valley uh, Under-18 Championship, which is not true, has not been true since Karate Kid 3. And these writers think they can come in and run roughshod on our fucking uh, canon that we've had because I've seen people point this out. Well, actually, only like two people, but I've seen people point two this geniuses. out. And even the John Hurwitz tried to backtrack a bit because people took screen caps of the uh, when Robbie's like looking up the dojo Dojo to fourth Olive Valley win, like when he's looking up the Valley News or whatever. And they're like, the news article says that Robbie, uh, that Vidal won in 81 and Johnny won in 82 and 83. And then they're like, well, maybe the reporter didn't fact check. Uh, and <laughs> they interviewed Crease, who talked Johnny up a bit and fudged the details. And then John Hurwitz is like, you nailed it. The reporter didn't fact check. Shut up, John Hurwitz. That's not true. <laughs> Jim, wait, stop. This is why they won't come on our show. Yeah. They're on every other Cobra Kai podcast, Jim. I'm being playful when I say this, but it's like it's not true because you're having Crease right here say that uh, that the, the facts are correct. Unless he's going to tell me Crease is lying, which I guess he would. This is when you take the Star Wars approach and you don't try and in narrative come up with an answer you just go whoops <laughs> and then everyone goes okay and then you it, it, it gets swept on the rug and it's a fun bit of trivia instead of you being like ha ha you're right about the fake reporter who didn't fact check uh which speaking of which i do want to bring up the fact that i absolutely love when robbie checks the internet because i don't know if this is on purpose if it's a joke, but it made me laugh so hard because when he searches John Kreese's name, one of the autofill things is age. And I love that because you look at him and you're like, how old is John Kreese in this world? Like, like based on like the young version of him in Nam and then the version you see in the original Karate Kids. And now he doesn't seem anywhere near as old as he actually is in real life. And I love the idea that searching in Google in the Karate Kid universe, if you search John Kreese's name, one of the autofills is people trying to figure out how old this guy is. <laughs> that's great yeah um yeah so i mean also not to stick on the scene too long we need to move on but i like as far as the whole crease storyline kind of in line with how johnny his approach kind of confirms that he's right about miguel's legs because what he does works in the same way crease's advice here is classic cobra kai you need to strike first and the show kind of shows that yeah in his situation that's the only way out not only is it the only way to win it's also how you get respect from other people yes. like in yeah. juvie in this situation it's a very like crease is right moment uh, you don't have to beat him you just have to make him work for it and that's what robbie did he didn't necessarily beat him but he made him work for it and guess what it solved this problem yeah so moving on, we have Sam leading the gorilla force that is Miyagi-Do back in Miyagi's backyard. And uh, Carmen walks in 
Uh, I mean, Sam's being really like, yeah, oh, we need to be prepared to fight. She's on the warpath. Again, I blame Daniel's advice for like, you can't run from a fight. So now she's like, ah, I see. It's time to build an army. Um, and Carmen walks in with Amanda. Sam's little brother. It's Amanda. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Uh, I don't even know what uh, Sam's little brother's name is. So maybe I have that one hand. Anthony. Jeez. Yeah, Anthony. Um, I, His one light, appearance, I believe, right? Light spoiler, but yeah, he, he's not central to the show. It's not really spoiler. We know he's not central to the show. But what a glow up, though, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that what is a, it? The same kid? Uh, it yeah. is. He's what a what a. It was definitely not a cruel summer for him because apparently, <laughs> whatever camp he went to, did wonders for him. Yeah, man, he looked like a million bucks. I didn't even know it was the same person. Those football cleats just get to running around that field. Maybe try not to drop kick people. Like he's the one actually playing football and getting fit and making friends. And these people are all trying. Like his older sibling is actually the trouble kid now. Who's you know getting into fights when people are breaking arms, etc. Uh, but yeah, he he does have some fun lines where he's being a douche. At least he's even if he's less uh, shithead looking. Well, he's kind of more shithead looking because he's attractive and attractive people are shitheads. Yeah. But he uh, he has some great like lines to show that he's still just as annoying as before which is great um but the the gist of this scene is that amanda's really upset about her doing karate we know karate is magna carta in the valley um but uh yeah she's upset about it but sam kind of throws it back at her you think karate's the problem you really haven't been paying attention because she's dealing with some shit and daniel's not even in the country uh and uh, he so at least he has an excuse for not realizing what's going on what's your excuse mom yeah, no. Exactly. Well, it's great too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, keep going. I would say it's great too because Amanda goes through this interesting arc this season of slowly going from snarky but always right and very likable wife to I can't be snarky anymore because I'm going to have to start accepting that some of what Daniel believes about this absurd karate war that is unfolding is right. And this is like the first step in that direction where she's like, She's so used to just being like, oh, yeah, Daniel and his dumb karate thing. that she, It's translated onto Sam, but it's not this dumb karate thing anymore. And this is one of those first times you see it dawns on her that she has to take it uh, slightly more seriously. And it can't just be this funny thing that she gives her husband and daughter shit for. Yeah, it's kind of nice in a weird way that Daniel's out of the country, you know, uh, flirting with his old ex <laughs> behind her back uh, because she ends up having to kind of take this a little bit more head on and start to realize the reality of the situation. Yeah, so moving forward, we have Johnny trying one of his many tricks to, to get Miguel to stand up with the fishing pole and the the nudie mag which is cartoonish like yeah but miguel i just their their dynamic is just so good that they make it work something that's absent like it would be in an actual cartoon yeah um, but it just works and especially when he falls and miguel who is always like the the ray of sunshine in the darkness that is cobra kai and uh he he's just so frustrated obviously and uh that that increases obviously in the next scene there where he gets set on fire. Uh, but we get to see how this cartoonish approach is not actually working. It's cartoonish, but at least it doesn't work. Well, and also it's like, it's, it's, it's the heart of the show and it's something we've been like, well, at least me personally, I've been missing just because of, you know, the, 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 pl the stuff with the plot, it makes sense. Well, we didn't get to have a lot of these Johnny and Miguel moments and kind of back to basics of just them hanging out. Um, 
So even though it's dealing with a more serious thing, because obviously it's him trying to walk again, it's just nice that they get to have these moments again where, yeah, he's got a fishing pole and a nudie magazine. He's lighting his, uh, his shoelace on fire and it doesn't work. And he's even like, wow, I really actually thought that would work. (laughs) And it's the perfect representation of those two, because like usual, Miguel rolls his eyes at what Johnny is saying and doing, but then immediately buys into it as if, as if he forgot instantly how silly it was. And that's what Miguel always does. He goes, Oh, Johnny, the thing you're saying is ridiculous. Anyway, let's fucking do it, bro. And he does that. He's like, He's like, I don't want that. I can look at it in my phone. He's like, yeah, it's better on the page. He's like, all right. And he's like immediately like doing it. I love that that's their dynamic is that Miguel always knows it's dumb, but then also immediately buys in. Yeah. Um, so we, we uh, move back to Japan here. We have Daniel, San, and Chosen going on their little tour. This is kind of the money shot. This is where yep. we were saying the other week that, you know, before there's no reason for them to make the, the mall like to film that in Japan because it's expensive as fuck. Uh, but here's like, here's what we were in Okinawa for. Let's get some of these fucking scenic views um, yeah. and chosen showing off the whole place. And they get to, uh, I mean, Daniel uh, sort of repeats Miyagi's history back to this guy who, I mean, to be fair, they've both studied uh, Miyagi-Do for the same amount of time, I guess, kind of. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but which Chosen's one of them is a white boring. man? Yeah, one of them is a white man, and Chosen is a bit more intense about it as well. I feel like Daniel got a bit distracted with cars there at some point. Uh, Chosen has not run an auto dealership, you know? This has been his life the whole time. So uh, uh, anyway, he explains some of uh, Miyagi-Do's backstory. Um, Strong wind, strong sake, you know, about the original guy who did uh, Miyagi-Do karate. Uh, We get a flashback. I assume Jim flipped the table. Uh, (laughs) And then then we head to the dojo where Chosen's living a charmed life in this really nice uh, house. He's got all the Miyagi-Do artifacts, snapped them all up from Sato, and uh, is a bit annoyed that this white man is trying to grab onto his artifacts. That's not for you. And we kind of leave it a bit tense there, I think, on this whole sequence. Yeah. Can you guys allow me to do a couple nitpicks? Sure. Absolutely. I have some nitpicks with this. One, something that's always kind of bothered me about Daniel, and it's very, very present in this scene, is that he still calls Mr. Miyagi Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> because oh, yeah. at this point, it's implied that they wound up having this lifelong friendship, and it feels weird that he would not, like, at the very least, just call him Miyagi. But the idea that he still calls him Mr. Miyagi at times you, there's like a charm to it, but other times it just sounds very weird. And when he's talking to chosen and he just keeps calling him Mr. Miyagi and he's an adult talking to another adult about someone they both knew seems a little weird to me. And in this moment it felt extra weird and that I, it's a small nitpick, but something that's bothered me. And then two, I just, this technique is so dumb. It's just a <laughs> stupid technique. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We'll get into the technique. Now, We're not even there. Yes, but yeah. 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 I kind of agree with that, but also I, cause it, it, it does, it makes sense a little bit because they're kind of trapped a bit. And this is always what the movies were about is that you're trapped a bit behind Mr. Miyagi and who he is and, and how like the way he's supposed to be and the way you're supposed to be doesn't lend itself that well to a show <laughs> because it's not <laughs> supposed to be, you're not supposed to be going to war with people in a strip mall with your karate. Uh, so it, they have to open it up a little bit. They have to add a little edge to Miyagi-Do 
to to make it make sense. And again, I guess it also does play into the fact of like something that's been clear to the audience for the past two seasons or two and a half seasons at this point uh, is that Johnny and Daniel are more alike than they want to admit. Um, and I guess they, they want to give that edge. And plus, I mean, it's it's tough that they always feel like and I guess the movies did it as well, but you always have to uncover a secret move, you know, that could come yeah, yeah. come into play. And in a way, in a way, I love that. I love that that's still a thing. But you're also like it's too a little too telegraphed now. We're always like, all right, here's the secret move. And like <laughs> the go. flip kick made like it's dumb, but it made slightly more sense because it's similar to the crane kick. But this almost like makes it feel like they're like, hey, remember when Mr. Miyagi was like healing Daniel's leg? And he's like, is this magic? And he's like, no, nah, I'm just giving you a massage. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great little moment. And this almost goes like the like it takes that exact same premise, but then goes the wrong way with it, where it's like, yes. hey, uh, is this some magic technique? And he goes, yeah. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. You're supposed to say no. You should just say like, no, I just hit you and it hurts. And right. Like it, that's great. Right. Like you do, there's something you do other than like, yes, it magically makes your, your, your limbs numb. Like you're a Naruto ninja or something. Like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it goes into, it takes that same like fork in the road that the healing massage went and then takes the wrong exit. Although, I mean, he did magically heal him. Uh, and he did also <laughs> in Karate Kid 3, he had like that, that, uh, whatever he would soak his like joints in. So there is some mysticism they can lean into a bit. And this is like the reverse version of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, since we're kind of on this thread, I mean, it is nice the way they flip it because, you know, I was based on the trailers. I was like, ah, oh, geez, uh, we're going to get into like the, the, the evil side of Miyagi-Do and they tease that a bit. But in the end, it's like, well, no, it's not used for like, it's only used to disarm someone who's trying to murder you. Like, but you're not murdering the person. It's still in the end, it's still self-defense and even like one of the lines he says is like, there's many versions of defense. Uh, so it does kind of in the wash in the end, it makes sense. Uh, but maybe that's because based on some of the trailers, I was like, oh, geez, uh, they're going to like make it like evil or there's like dark the origins of Miyagi-Do. That's where I call bullshit on it, though, because I'm like, they try to have their cake and eat it, too, in yeah. going like, Chosen being all like, uh, you don't know everything about Miyagi-Do. We have a technique that's literally for disarming people. It's like, yeah, that's the most Miyagi-Do thing I've ever heard. They're trying to build this up as this dark yeah. secret. That's why my intro was like, ooh, it's a secret killing technique, but it doesn't actually kill anyone. It's exactly in line with everything else Miyagi-Do is, so... It, there's absolutely no revelation there, even though they act like there is. Well, Daniel LaRusso shut you up, Dan, uh, uh, Jacob, by having that one line where he goes, well, defending yourself nowadays and defending yourself way back then are two very different things. So <laughs> back in the day, it was deadly, Jacob. But nowadays, it's just this cool little arm numb thing. Because, I mean, these to be two fair... fought to the death, Mike. It's still the case these days. <laughs> but to They're be... literally fighting and breaking each other's arms over in the valley at this very moment. But to be fair, you could murder someone with this technique. Oh yeah, you could murder some people with regular Miyagi techniques as well. But and I want clearly touch, the I'm sure we'll talk more. Well, I was just going to say, Sorry. and clearly the long con with Chosen was just to get that uh, the honk revenge on the nose, dude. Oh, the honk revenge was That's so great. good. I loved that so much. 
Yeah, that's great. I just, before I forget, I want to touch on what you said about him, uh, adult Daniel calling him Mr. Miyagi still. Here's my rationalization. I don't know if you'll buy it, but I think just with the way culture is in Japan, you know this, you're a big old weeb, Mike. Um, the way <laughs> they you. use, Yeah, the way they use honorifics, right? I think this is his version of saying Miyagi-sensei. Uh, Mr. Miyagi yeah. is his translation of that. Uh, Daniel read a whole book about Okinawa. He's obviously obsessed with sushi and Japanese culture. He's been multiple times to Japan. I... He, like Miyagi Sensei would be what's expected from him. And I feel like he definitely called Mr. Miyagi Miyagi Sensei once. And Mr. Miyagi was like, no, no, you are right, Daniel son. That's where he drew the line. No appropriation beyond that line. So he's like, all right, I'll stick with Mr. Miyagi. But I just think culturally showing that respect, this is like his westernized version of it in the same way that all his karate is a westernized version of what Mr. Miyagi taught him. So here's the thing. What you're doing right now is you're on Twitter explaining something. <laughs> and yes, it adds up. But goddamn you, Jacob Burroughs, you know what you're doing. <laughs> That's what we do. It's like a podcast. It's like audio Twitter. You're right. Um, uh, real quick, because okay, we well, just because yeah. we already the next scene is um, uh, uh, Robbie Google increase, and we already kind of talked yeah. about it. But I, I I am looking at it here, and some of the things that come up, like there's like Redbubble, uh, John Crease gifts and merch and John Crease Etsy. And I know that's just kind of like what comes <laughs> up when you Google things, but also with the amount of, we've always talked about the Cobra Kai merch. I feel like if you click, <laughs> if you were able to click those links, you would definitely see a lot of Cobra Kai merch on there. Oh yeah. Towels, headbands, <laughs> uh, disposable towels, uh, not nine or 12 different types of towels. Everyone's got a goddamn Cobra Kai towel and a t-shirt. Absolutely. And in this scene, he try like he reads the news articles and then he sees all the emails from Sam, starts to email her back. This is or this is kind of a spoiler as well, but like that thread never gets followed up on oh, either yeah. because this kid, this other kid comes in and unplugs the computer and he says, Hope you didn't lose anything important. Like it's nineteen ninety-four. He's <laughs> clearly on Gmail. That draft is saved. He literally yeah. didn't lose anything important. So it's not like he's being annoying, but and he also wrote like two sentences as well so yeah uh, yeah i don't know and he's like he's asking him to leave him alone he says that's never gonna happen but then breaks over so he wouldn't have had time to finish that email anyway because they had to leave the room five minutes <laughs> later but it's just to show that crease is right and you need to fucking punch this guy and kick him in the face yeah this guy's not gonna he's not gonna leave you alone well uh, his fight seems dope so i'm glad he took crease's yeah. advice oh and, yeah absolutely and then like Dude, without, I mean, I guess this is why Kreese is cutting people from Cobra Kai. Because getting in this next scene, like, Cobra Dude, Kai is so lame. I was so just lame. thinking that they are, they are such nerds, like, <laughs> running around this Steal. golf and stuff. And, like, ha, 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 and, like, stealing things and tickets. Like, but uh, they Hawk looks steal, like the biggest geek. Yeah, yeah, they steal the tickets so they can fake, because uh, I think it's Chris uh, from Miyagi-Do. So they can fake Chris out to get one prize and then jump behind the counter to steal a bunch of stuffed animals, which well, I guess what they do with those yeah. stuffed animals is kick them yeah. and then high five each other. <laughs> Miyagi though is so lame. I mean, not Miyagi though. Uh, Cobra Kai is so lame right now. Speaking of which, yeah. after this episode, do you guys want to drink warm beer and uh, kick stuffed animals like cool dudes? That is fun. That's kind of fun though, because that's just a classic, like stupid, like uh, high school, like, high school kid thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's crack oh, some warm ones. It's ass face through and through. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Chris's reaction as well. I get that it's annoying, but it's also like. 
does he love his job that much that he's yeah. like, they're fucking with me at work now? Like, it, no one's presumably... Well, maybe they will. I don't know. I, I assume no one's going to blame him for it, but I don't know. You worked in laser tag, Mike. You can explain how this works. Yeah. Dude, when I was having my karate feud, it sucked working <laughs> at a laser tag place because I constantly had to text my friends in all caps being like, now it's happening at work. Uh, but no, for real, I, I read that as... They've had their karate life and they've had their normal life. Yeah. And now karate life is encroaching closer and closer and it has now crossed that line where karate life and normal life are the same thing. That's yeah. how I read that. It's like the principle of the thing at this point. Like he doesn't yeah. care about the stuffed animals, but it's like, yeah, enough of these dudes. Yeah. So uh, moving to the next scene, we have Johnny doing the intro bit about the Chinamen who didn't want to do their work. <laughs> that Chinaman thing was so funny. It's so Johnny. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very funny. And he uh, sets Miguel on fire, which doesn't work also. Again, classic try-fail cycle stuff. You gotta love to see it. And it's kind of, um, it's not quite here that he understands that. I mean, Miguel kind of not lashes out, but he's kind of like, why didn't it work? Like, my le- it's gotta be frustrating. His foot is on fire, and he's like, if I can't feel that, let alone move it, like, it's gonna dampen my hopes a fair bit. I told you that's what Miguel does. He sees something Johnny's doing, realizes it's dumb, and then immediately buys in because seconds after he's like, why didn't that work? (laughs) Even though he knows (laughs) it's That was a great idea. (laughs) It's so perfect. I love that Miguel does that. Yeah. Um, And so we go back to Japan, and we have Daniel and Chosen actually doing their sparring and montage because they're, like, sparring in different places, indicating that this is taking place over, like, the course of a day. Uh, I think Chosen kind of keeps winning we see the bit from the um the bit from the trailer where he's kind of chopping into the carpet um yeah chosen just keeps beating him up right or am i uh, he does yeah, i guess basically he gets, in, one, he gets in like one good hit but then he does the drum technique so yeah and he like does these things like because at one point he like uh fall like he drops down behind him and punches him in the ass <laughs> and then yeah and then daniel's <laughs> like that's not miyagi though <laughs> so, but it's like i guess he's just showing that like it's okay to yeah be aggressive uh i mean yeah he, he stabs the sigh into the floor next to his head um and then of course we get to the 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 new move that we'd already mentioned uh where i mean who knows maybe if he'd gotten back early enough he could do the reverse version of this punch and then make miguel walk again you never know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is just such a, a trope, isn't it? Like these yeah. pressure points and taking out strength. I have to apologize at first because I think at some point I thought he was doing the drum technique, but Chosen doesn't do the drum technique in this, does he? I, uh, not that I noticed. I, I thought I maybe yeah. I missed it. I heard you mention it. I just thought no, maybe I No, I, I think it. I just mixed things up. Yeah. I thought at the start when he was doing this new special technique that he was going to do the drum thing. And uh, maybe that. I just mixed it up. Uh, but yeah, he, he does the pressure points. Which, again, we've talked about. Uh, uh, Daniel's super impressed. I mean, it's great because it leads to the honk moment. And it's great because of how chosen is. Daniel has genuine fear in his eye, just like we've seen uh, all the other honk moments. Uh, And then we get to see uh, chosen kind of start laughing like crazy, which is also loads of fun. And have him, like, relax for the first time. This must be a great moment. This is, like, the pinnacle of everything he's prepared for for the last 30 years. Daniel was selling cars, (laughs) you know, and fucking bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but also like that that's that's where I really liked Cap like not that I didn't like him being in the show like when he was being like angry chosen, 
but when they find when he finally gets to, to release and like laugh and be like a little bit different character and show that he's grown, then I'm like, okay, great. This is the stuff I want to see. I'm not as excited to see him being like, no, uh, like being all angry and kind of calling back more to the show. But again, it's all the long Kong for the, uh, for the, uh, the honk on the nose. Um, and then it gets to me, like, it gets like actually touching when, like we mentioned, it's a more of a retcon, but at least him talking about being lost and like, uh, his teacher coming back and, you know, saving his life and stuff like that, like that I enjoy. And I really like when he, calls Daniel back and gives him the scroll. I think that's like a really great moment. Like it amounts to much more than I expected when it, like we have the click cliffhanger from the previous episode and kind of the build up through this episode, in my opinion. And dumb technique be like forgotten. It's the culmination of the mirror image of karate kid two was all about Daniel growing as a person, but then learning that there's not always just a black and white to everything yeah. because in his eyes, Miyagi said this thing was this thing. And then he's learning that a lot of people interpret things differently. And this whole trip for him has been that same thing, but now chosen is saying like, Hey, I'm showing you all the same things you learned when you were here as a kid, just further extended. You think everything is this one thing and it has to be this one thing. And I'm showing you that it's not. And Daniel's realizing that, uh, but for all these new things in his life, instead of the, the, the more minor things he was learning as a teenager. I still would have preferred if it was like a five-point death technique where it just hits him five times in the chest, the guy takes five steps, and then his heart explodes. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. That would be cooler, though. Um, so back in back in the valley, uh, Johnny's listing ideas for how to fix Miguel's legs, you know, stuff like LSD, just the basics. Um, and, like, he boots up his computer, which will come back later. Um, and then he sees Carmen crying. And she very like it just makes so much sense that she says she just has feelings she doesn't want miguel to see she wants to be you know positive in front of him and everything and she says that she just like because johnny's like i just, i don't worry he'll walk again and she's like i just want to see him smile again which yeah. is uh i think a great moment and a great motivator for johnny to try something different that isn't to heal his legs <laughs> it's actually just to cheer up this kid and act as a sensei in more than just the physical aspect uh because it's not part of his physical rehabilitation but it's still part of his rehabilitation to me absolutely and i love that he just googles how to make legs work again <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's such a johnny thing to do uh and yeah yeah, yeah it is a great it, it is a, a great moment in seeing just you know her seeing her side and it makes complete sense that you know if, when you're like miguel already has enough to worry about she doesn't want to add on to his stress by uh, you know, him seeing her as like emotional about it. But of course she has every right to react that way. And yeah, makes things nice and simple. Like let's just start with, you know, having fun and smiling again. Cause that's classic Miguel smiling, having fun, you know it. Well, and them having a conversation again, because yeah. up until now they've been on like thin ice and she is like begrudgingly had him around because of, Miguel, but this is the first time that Miguel's not around and she's not like, she's actually talking to him about something. And you can tell that a part of her is remembering why she doesn't want to be mad at him. And a part of him is immediately remembering, 
oh shit, this is what it's like when she's not mad at me. And so there's like a lot of layers going on with this conversation. Yeah, I'd say never forgot how hot she is, but it's definitely <laughs> better could? when, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then we get two fight scenes in tandem, sort of intercut with one another. Again, I'm going to rely on your laser tag expertise here. This is really why we have you on the show, Mike, because they're in a an old abandoned laser tag arena. Um, and I want your input on the structural integrity of this course and stuff like that. But in summary, they have the warm brews. They, they switch on like the dark lights. Miyagi-Do just rocks up and uh, starts a fight um, as uh, and, and wants payback. Legit say that they want payback. And at the same time, we have Robbie in juvie well, uh, starting a fight. As and well. I, I'm only just now making the connection that this is both Miyagi-Do striking first here. Like, I didn't even yeah. put that together till just now. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's kick-ass it's kick uh, uh, back and forth, like seeing both fights. And I feel like they're playing up on, because me, Robbie's doing a lot of, like, wall runs. And, Dude, he's uh, doing, like, cool Power Ranger shit. It rules. But I feel like they're trying to play up on, a, like, we called it out in the school fight of how Robbie, like, does fly at one point because Miguel catches his leg and then Robbie, like, jumps up in the air... Like, yes. not just a standard in, insecurity kick in wrestling, but, like, he full-on is, like, flying in the air and kicks him with the other leg and, like, lands on his feet type deal. So they're kind of playing that up. That's Robbie's style. Love to see the consistency. Well, it's weird, too, because I'm su surprised that he's one of the few that didn't have uh, any martial arts background. Because every time he's in a fight, his fight scenes always feel like the ones that someone with real martial arts background would be in. And he's someone who didn't have that. I, that always surprises me. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a really fun fact, Mike. I didn't know that. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, two great fight scenes, I must say. Um, I'd say the motivations for both make sense. Uh, but obviously they're both not great that they have to happen. Um, like Sam is clearly in a shaky place from the start of the episode and she's basically trying to beat the ghost of Tori uh, out of by beating these people up. But then Tori actually shows up. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get more into Tori maybe in the next few episodes, but uh uh, yeah, she wants to. She wants to kill Sam. I guess. <laughs> I think yeah. Sam is totally justified in her PTSD <laughs> and kind of hiding. And later she blames herself. But like, yeah, Tori's about to. Uh, I guess murder her. Um, and well, Tori's yeah, crazy. Kind of goes. Tori's a crazy person. Yeah, You're, you should crazy. be afraid of her, like in real life, not just like, oh, she's my rival. Tori is fucking crazy. I know. Um, and some people I've read online about how some people see like a pretty distinct difference between season two and three, Tori, where in season three, we have like her with her mom to kind of show. Yeah, you know, but but that's just one scene, you know, to kind of yeah. humanize her and whatever. And then all of that is thrown aside in season two. Like the only crazy thing is kind of at the end, obviously, even if she wants to fight Sam, just the whole setting of like going on the school PA and like that is all insane, obviously. Mm -hmm. But at least the build up to it kind of adds up. And now we're sort of expected to go. Yeah, she's the only one without any remorse or anything like her actual boyfriend, the person she was fighting for ended up in the hospital but she's like yeah cool more fighting though to be fair in this particular scene she didn't strike first but just in general yeah tori some people see a distinct difference in that she doesn't really make as much sense in season three as earlier yeah well because, I, I like well good i'll keep going jim well no, you're good 
I was going to say, well, because especially because they keep showing Hawk have the, and of course we even see it in this moment, even though Hawk is a crazy person, the fact that he breaks Dimitri's arm here, but they, they want to spend the time to show him have his uh, Theon Greyjoy, as we like to describe yeah, yeah. it, his Greyjoy moment where he has to stare at like, oh my God, what am I doing? What Like they don't really, yeah, they give Tori her mom, but they don't give her much beyond that. And you're right, at least in season two, I mean, we talked a lot about how like Sam was like stuck up and just accusing her of stealing and stuff like that. So it made more sense that she was just kind of like, oh, that girl's a bitch. Instead of like, yeah, like wrestling a school secretary and stealing the intercom. Um, but yeah, it just, it is a little weird. I, I, they're trying to show that there's more to Tori. And maybe it's, I mean, I've heard that she was working on a movie when they were shooting. So maybe they didn't quite to get in, uh, weren't quite able to get in as much as they'd like. Uh, but it, it, it tends to lean too uh crazy girl trope uh than like layered character i like it though because she's the most cobra kai person on the show That's like true. old cobra kai That's and true. since old cobra kai the whole point of this season is that cobra kai was supposed to reinvent itself and now the old version is looming and growing and becoming real again she represents that more than anyone on this show like maybe Kyler, I guess is, is is also pretty old Cobra Kai, but like she represents that better than anyone. So I like that they're letting one person in the show just be the old Cobra Kai person who's yeah. just like thinking it's funny that people are getting hurt and being okay with it and not questioning it. And yeah, she's got problems in her life, but she that doesn't need to bleed into the karate life because she has still decided that Cobra Kai karate life is separate from her life. And I like that there's one character that still has that old school Cobra Kai mentality through and through. Well, I agree with that, but I also feel like, and we'll talk about this more in like the next few episodes, but I feel like that should also be happening with Hawk. I don't feel, I feel like there, I don't, this Hawk stuff doesn't make sense to me, uh, especially at this point where he's doing crazier things than Tori. Tori slashed Sam with her knuckles or whatever she had. Right here, Hawk, like this should be between this and what, like things to come, like Hawk should be passing the point of no return, in my opinion. But I mean, we'll yeah. talk about it as it goes on. And then to answer your question, Jacob, I, I do have true, actual, real laser tag arena opinions because as the person who managed a laser tag arena for quite a few years, I have a true theory. I don't think that was a set. I think that's a real laser tag arena because when the lights are on, not the black lights, it is lit how that would actually be lit if you were like, oh, let's turn it, let's turn the lights on and clean that place up. And then when it swaps to the black lights, that's exactly how that arena would be built. <laughs> and I prefer two-story arenas. I think they're better. They add more strategy. They're they're just a they're more they're they're more of a value play for your laser tag arena. But as far as single-level laser tag arenas, that place is built like it was supposed to be a laser tag arena. So I'm convinced they found a real laser tag arena and went and filmed in one. Jake, I I would I would bet my life on that i mean that okay i think your life is safe because it would definitely make a lot more sense economically to just go hey can we film here rather than build this indoor <laughs> of a set with black light and all this shit so yeah that adds up and i really appreciate the input yeah you're welcome so uh, all right I mean, see you later <laughs> okay i'm booting you from the call <laughs> um we have the scene we've already talked about it with chosen and daniel and we've talked for an hour now about this episode we're 25 minutes into the episode uh so I'll, i i guess we'll speed past it but yeah because uh, we went over chosen, it a bit. 
it's a great moment chosen you know shares how he was feeling we've already talked about it but like he shares his shame and i love the moment where Daniel's like, you know, if it means anything, I forgive you because chosen his behavior would indicate that it wouldn't mean anything to him. But obviously that's the opposite of the truth. It means a great deal. It means the most to him because his <laughs> to Daniel uh, Karate Kid Part 2 was this thing that happened. And then he went back and just did a regular karate tournament <laughs> and then he started selling cars <laughs> for chosen. His whole life revolve, revolves around this honk of his nose. And uh, he's finally like getting to discharge some of that shame and uh he's happy enough to let uh, an ancient scroll go if that's the price he has to pay well i think jacob you're minimizing mr miyagi's little trees which i think is somewhere in the middle of <laughs> try to get part three and daniel selling cars so we can't stress that enough but yeah you're right it's uh it's a great moment i love when he gives them the scroll and i love that they both bow to each other here but it also kind of sets up like the way this should happen then is as soon as Daniel lands back in uh, L.A., he should be like, hey, Johnny, what are we doing here? Like at this point, <laughs> if he's learned this much, it should be like, Johnny, what are we doing? Uh, we need to te like team up for real. Stop. Uh, stop with this rivalry shit. But I mean, we'll see. Maybe that's what happens. Yeah, we will see. Um, so we have Johnny rolling Miguel around. Um, we, I, I thought he was going to strip club. Like that made sense to me. Uh, but what we get is arguably even better, uh, <laughs> a concert from D Snyder. Yes. Um, and I love the way they talk him in. Obviously that's great. Miguel's like, Oh, right. <laughs> Coughing and everything to show. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually dying. And, you know, Johnny brings him in, like gives him a beer. Uh, the only thing I argue with is that he had to explain who D Snyder was because I feel like Miguel had this phase, much like in Ready Player One, where he just absorbed <laughs> all of 80s culture, yeah. um, like based off of Johnny's uh, teachings. So I feel like he already should have known that, but it's it's probably there for the audience and that's okay. Yeah, because so, then like a, a few minutes later, they were like, I want to rock. And like Miguel knows the song, so, but... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. So, Mike, I told you guys earlier I had a giant gripe with this episode. Yeah. And it has to do with this amazing concert because Johnny Lawrence takes Miguel to a D. Snyder concert, which he, he describes D. Snyder as one of the most kick-ass rockers of all time. We know who Johnny Lawrence is and what he likes and what he values. Yet, for some reason, the same man calling D. Snyder one of the greatest kick-ass rockers of all time, taking Miguel to this awesome kick-ass rock show, had been wearing a Red Hot Chili pepper <laughs> shirt almost this entire episode. I defy whoever made the decision to think that Johnny Lawrence would ever be caught dead in a Red Hot Chili pepper shirt. I just, I just can't get behind any version of this this decision there's no like is there a secret episode we're going to learn about where johnny lost a bet and he was forced to wear this shirt because johnny lawrence the man who is self-described saying that d snyder is one of those kick-ass rockers of all time would never also wear a red hot chili pepper shirt you don't think johnny lawrence would like give it away by red hot chili peppers johnny lawrence might like higher ground which is a yeah. cover by the way yeah, yeah. but he would never like any of the pr there's no way that the same man 
just uh, like taking this other? kid to a rock concert would be wearing a red hot chili pepper shirt in the same episode. It's if you're going to have him wear that shirt, wear it in a different episode. But of all the shirts, it's almost like you're mocking me purposefully by having him wear that shirt in this episode of all episodes where he goes to a D Snyder concert. I'm trying to think what other hits did they have? I don't know, Mike. I feel like you're putting Johnny Lawrence up on a pedestal, and this shirt is there to remind us that this guy is, in fact, a douche, and he would like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think it's one of those things, yeah, his match, his his uh, way of helping Miguel get back on his feet is literally Miyagi-level magic, but at least he's still a douchebag because he likes the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he's, he, he's, a con- he's consistent, Jacob, and his consistency mm. is veering far, far off to the side if he is wearing that. That red hot chili pepper shirt. I nothing you can say will change my mind, Jacob. No matter how magical it is, no matter how sunny, honey soaked your words are, Jacob. I refuse to believe that Johnny Lawrence would ever wear a red hot chili pepper shirt ever. I mean, uh, right. suck my kiss. Johnny Lawrence would have liked that song. Red, red, no. Blood sugar, sex magic came up in 1991, so it's not too removed. Mother's Milk came out in 89. Jim, listen to yourself. <laughs> who, who, are you, who are you trying to convince, Jim, me or yourself? <laughs> yeah, Higher Ground was off Mother's Milk, so that was in 89. Yeah, that's uh, the only song Johnny might like, and it's because it's a cover. So, of course, Red Hot Chili Peppers couldn't make that themselves. They needed to cover something. <laughs> I, just, I just had a huge, just a giant problem with that. So what, do you, what do you, the, the listener, think? Would Johnny Lawrence like Red Hot Chili Peppers? Please let us know. It shows what you know. Show at gmail.com. I think we just have to accept that he's a douche and that he would be like, I don't really want to feel like there's a, there's a cut scene where he's just in his room. Like, take that day, take me to the place. Oh no. I like that walks song. In and, he, and he just starts going like, Oh, uh, I want to rock. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure, but uh, you're right. I can't Twitter magic word my way out of this one. No. So let's just move on. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, Amanda meets Samantha. Uh, yeah, Amanda meets Sam at the hospital, and you know she's starting to see like the gravity of the situation. And I mean, and Sam's plea here is like, I mean, she she really does well in this scene, and it's like we just don't want to be bullied, or we just want to show we couldn't be bullied. And she's yeah. and like finds out Dimitri's arms broken. So, I mean, we stay with this thread because it does lead to the confrontation with Crease, which is classic. Oh, uh, it's so cool. It's so, Amanda's so fucking cool. And, and like you were talking about, Mike, like there's this arc now where, and it's such a great thing I didn't quite expect because she's always been, and, and she's like a fan favorite character. Everyone loves her because it's so yeah. funny when she goofs on the idea. But it's I didn't realize how fun it would be to see her like also get absorbed in in the karate world as well and realize like, oh, shit, now that I'm in it, I guess things are different. Uh, And I mean, we'll get into that more, but just getting like a taste of it here is awesome. It's so good because, again, that's been her thing is that she's the audience surrogate acknowledging that sometimes wacky things are happening in this world where karate matters but she acknowledges it so it's okay but now she's getting dragged into it and you're watching it happen and in this moment it's so cool because she's full on she's a part of the karate war now and there's no going back you can't unbreak that glass and I, I love it because she's just like hey you dumb old man and then he's like and then he starts like being a karate kid villain and she's like no shut up and just slaps him Dude. and she's like you don't get to give your your villain monologue and you're just like whoa Amanda rules the build up to his monologue is so perfect and I feel like it's like the, the intro we've always heard because he's like you're feisty 
but I like it. I like, and he's about to get into the whole thing. And yeah. she just you know exactly him. what he would have said, having having been uh, given the opportunity to say something, but she shuts that shit down. Oh, it's so good. And it's a great illustration. I mean, it's cool to see, but we also know it's dangerous because once you acknowledge that you're in a karate show, as you were saying, there's mm-hmm. no going back. We've seen it with Daniel and Johnny. Yeah. And Crease, it's his superpower because he's the only one, as we said in season two, who like realizes the karate is the most important thing in the world because he's self-aware and knows that he's in a TV show about karate. And yeah. his superpower is to basically be a black hole of that and draw everyone into it. We've seen it loads of times with Daniel being like, you're crazy crazy and like chris shows up at his dojo threatens him and his family puts out his cigar like on mr miyagi's shrine or whatever and like <laughs> and pieces out so he's just got this power and now the his anth- antithesis uh amanda who is this person who embodies no what you're doing is crazy has been pulled into it so now we are 100 percent in karate mode and there's no going back yeah no one's impossible. gonna care about cars ever again except for this one scene where daniel uh meets the kid he saved back in the Karate Kid Part 2 and this justifies his whole trip because magically it saves his business so we don't have to care about the business anymore. This makes absolutely no fucking no, sense. I love uh, this. I no, love this. It's great. It's so good. I, I, mm-hmm. I. It's weird because in my mind, my mind's saying you shouldn't love this. Uh, that's what my stupid mind's saying. But <laughs> yeah, when I'm watching it and they, it's such a, such a, fun pull and it's the actual actress by the way yeah uh, i was gonna ask yeah. is it because yeah it could you when you're that young that long ago there it could have been anyone you know yeah and i, I and they're I, asian they all look the same <laughs> anyway that's what you're thinking whoa. Whoa. say it whoa jacob uh get mike around <laughs> get mike around and jacob gets all saucy but it's I weird being mike i know because <laughs> on paper yeah i get like it's kind of like so cornball but it totally also fits just with you know, like they say, you, the uh, like a common thread through these episodes, not just with Daniel, uh, has been like, well, I thought I was a good, I thought I was doing the good thing. I thought I was doing the right thing. And people are confused because they do the right thing, but then bad things happen. And, you know, as uh, Kumiko says, like, you know, you put good out in the world, it'll come back. So it's not always immediate. It's not this immediate reward you're going to get, but things will will kind of come around for you um so i just i loved it i like marked out more yeah. than uh when chosen showed up i was like it's the girl it's the girl they <laughs> saved it, dude it set up and paid off so well to the point where you almost believe that when they wrote the original karate kid movie they wanted this <laughs> moment to happen in a tv show 30 years later because he she, she, kimiko is straight up saying like yo do good things and good things will happen. And sometimes that's not obvious. And you look at all the things that happened in karate kid two that, that Daniel did. And all of them have a resolution, except that's just him just doing something. Just even in the moment, it seems weird because that moment should be over. There should be no girl to rescue off a tower. And then for some reason there is, and they spend 10 minutes letting Daniel rescue her. And it just kind of almost feels out of place in the movie for who Daniel is and the, the style of rescue it is in the style of movie it is. But then they knew. They knew 30 years from now that this was about to pay off in a big way. And it, it, it set up and paid off in the best way. Jacob, I want you to put your heart in the microwave and melt away all that ice. <laughs> yeah. Because underneath it, I know, is a warm, beating, beautiful, like, uh, Grinch heart that's ready to grow three sizes and realize and admit that this was an amazing moment and you loved it. Okay. 
Here's here's the thing. The moment itself, <laughs> all right, you've convinced me. It's not bad. I see where you're coming from. My concern is more that much like in every episode of Cobra Kai, Daniel's learning the lo- wrong lesson from this because he his whole reason for going to this island is basically him following signs, not people, going on a whim to get out there. Yes, the fact that he saved this kid ages ago, I'm glad that that pays off. But his behavior up to that point is totally irrational and just it makes it feel contrived that, no, the fact that he went to Okinawa is what ended up saving his auto business, even though the decision decision to go there made no sense and this is kind of a spoiler not really but he never mentions to his wife all the time he spent <laughs> flirting with people uh, that he used to go out with back in okinawa and uh, I, I guess i'm on the defensive because of the whole ice heart thing and it cut <laughs> deep <laughs> but, but i'm just like i i like the moment but i'm just like it doesn't pay off the the fucking craziness of him going here because it totally reinforces that he made the right decision in just fucking off to Okinawa to solve all his problems. And then the fact that the car dealership becomes like the least important thing in the show again. I don't know. It just feels contrived on that level to me. But I, I, I am glad you guys liked it. You know what? I'm, I'm happy for you. I think you kind I of can. have a point, but I, I do think that... Daniel does learn lessons. I think you're like the core of it is that, yeah, he kind of, you know, he did follow symbols, not people. Um, and he, I guess he could potentially t- like take the wrong lesson of like, Hey, I was just right all along, follow my gut or whatever. But I think these interactions and, you know, some of the stuff from meeting back with these characters again, he does come away uh, a tad uh, of a different person. Uh, I think it does get to him. I, I do want to backtrack a little bit because I got caught up in the Red Hot Chili Peppers conversation that we didn't mention <laughs> that uh, that Miguel does start tapping his foot uh, to I Want to Rock. I mean, because how could you not? Um, but we do see some uh, progress with Miguel uh, at the D. Snyder concert. Well, and it's great. And I don't know if this is on purpose, so this is just me adding meaning to things. But in the song, when he goes like, like, no, and then the crowd goes, no, that's when Miguel ye- yells yes, which I oh, think is really yeah. fun that in that exact moment when the crowd's supposed to be yelling no, it's like this perfect crane shot directly down on top of him, and he's yelling yes. Oh, it's so good. Oh, that's great. Interesting, interesting take. Um, yeah, and then the final scene of the episode, uh, we have Johnny and, and like, jo- <laughs> uh, Miguel's showing off his foot tapping to Carmen, uh, who's, like, eye-fucking Johnny at this point. <laughs> yeah. It all worked out, <laughs> and he's the best, clearly, and his methods work. Fuck Braden, that physical therapy did <laughs> fucking nothing. Surgery then, schmergery. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of surgery schmergery, uh, Johnny goes off and finds there's a certain surgeon who's just added him on Facebook, and Ali with an eye is still a massive ride, and that's where we end the episode. Yeah, I do want to call out quick um, the like it's weird because to me there's a fine line of Johnny is dumb about computers joke. I don't like the joke that he doesn't know that you charge a battery in a laptop. I think you're kind of pushing it a little too far. I like the idea that he doesn't know what 
tagging in pictures is and he thinks that Facebook's only on your phone. Like, I think that makes more sense and is a funnier goof. Uh, I just wanted to put that out there. And I like that when he's like, what is tagging? And then even when he sees the, he sees, I love that he's so excited to see the picture of him and Miguel that he like does the face back. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, speaking of tagging, Jim, I'm going to tag onto that and mention that I love that when he's trying to fix Miguel's legs, he's like, Webbed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's such a Johnny thing to say. Webbed. Like he shouldn't be so dumb that he doesn't realize that MD is a doctor thing. But it's on the internet, so his brain reads it wrong, and it makes perfect sense. You go, hmm. I went to Webbed. Yeah. That like yeah. that. I think makes more sense to me than some of the some of the other ones. I think they go a little too far. But that's just my Johnny uh, doesn't know computers joke critiques that I have. Yeah, and that's the end of the episode. And just before we wrap it up, Jim, didn't you say that kind of episode five is where you were like, fuck yeah, because you were watching it and yeah. it was still good, but it didn't like fully come together for you until here. So what was it that made you feel that way? Well, I think it's because of like, and I think they've done this in the other seasons too. Like they always, because obviously we're at the halfway point. So it is like a weird, like some of the mini arcs start to come together as they set things up to come towards the end so i guess part of it is just the feeling that the car dealership is not going to be as big of a thing uh (laughs) from here on out which i don't care about but like just things coming together like i i like i said i got excited when they had the karate two uh karate kid part two girl show up i love that we had uh johnny and miguel kind of going back and forth again like it just started to feel like some of the loose threads and stuff were, were happening and even like the fight scenes and stuff like it just felt more cohesive and I had a better clear uh, clear vision of where things were going and they've kind of done similar things I think season two I was looking it up earlier season two episode five is when um, well first we'll start season one episode five is counterbalance so that's the one that has when Miguel finally fights back in the school cafeteria uh, and when Daniel goes to Miyagi's uh, grave and like realizes like he's been being a douche and kind of like changes his path for the rest of the season. And then in season two, episode five is all in. That's the one when um, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. They have like the mall fight and Dimitri starts to take karate a bit more serious. Um, uh, let me see what else happens in this one. Oh, that's when, uh, yeah, Cobra Kai fucking fucks up Miyagi-Do, and then Daniel kind of comes into Cobra Kai at the end and, like, faces them head on, and some of the kids end up leaving to join Miyagi-Do. I just I always feel like they, they, they put a nice, like, mini capper. It's almost like a mini finale uh, to set things up for the rest of the season, and it, it started to work more for me when I was watching it. Yeah, that's great. Um, So Mike will be joining us for next episode as well as we get into episode six of uh, season three. So please stay tuned on the feed for that. And you can, of course, send us your thoughts either at uh, showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. What do you think of this episode? Uh, Where do you fall on the whole uh, chili peppers question? It's clearly the most important one raised. It is. Um, And you can also share this opinion uh, in a review on Apple Podcasts. We very much appreciate those. And you could also leave reviews for our other shows, which you can find at showswhatyouknow.com. But beyond that, is there anything else, Jim? There's one thing left to say, and I don't think we mentioned it to Mike before, 
but just follow our lead. Try to keep up. I think you'll know when to come in because there's one thing <laughs> left to say. Strike first. Strike hard. No mercy.